Good job, good job. Take your Bibles, please. John chapter 6. Good job for the band, too. Brother Sam, you sounded like Rudy Atwood. Was that the pianist from back in the day? I felt him hitting those keys. Good job, everybody. Very, very good. Thank you for doing that. So in your notes, I hope everybody got one. Oh, let's make sure you did. Um, did anybody, Brother Sam, would you mind? There's a few right there. There's one hand. Lift your hand up real high if you need one. There's plenty for everybody. want to make sure everybody gets one and follow along. And there's, there's more notes tonight than there were this morning, even though tonight's going to be shorter, Lord willing. I, I put in a lot of references in there for you to take home because it answers some questions I've, I've had the last couple of weeks about uh, a Bible issue, which, which I get these kind of questions a lot, but it's, it's good to take these home and have in your Bible. But first of all, I want to give you some quick pointers. This morning, I mentioned the Christmas season and how we have these expectations for the Christmas season. One thing you'll see around is keep Christ in Christmas. And Christmas is all about Christ. It's not about Santa or Frosty or Jack Frost. And I'm not necessarily against any of that as long as it doesn't take the place of Jesus Christ. That is the reason for everything. And I have six practical points here just to get us started, a little visit before we get into the message about how to keep Christ in Christmas this December, okay? So I'll go through them quickly. Number one, real practical, attend every church service. Now I put that in there even though it's obvious. Of course you should go to church, but whenever we're busy, we tend to uh, kind of neglect things and all too often we neglect the things that are most important. So Bible reading, but, but church, like man, I really need this Sunday night to wrap presents or there's this thing coming up, I need to get a head start on baking, or whatever it is, uh, but it's a really kind of a supernatural thing. I don't know. When you go to church, when you make sure you are there where you're supposed to be, it, God just somehow multiplies your time. And, and I've before, not of course since I've been a pastor, but before I've been like, man, I, I, I really need to stay home and do this. I've got this thing coming up. And I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but I just don't get as much done. Uh, so go make sure you attend every church service. It really will, instead of helping you with your busyness, if you neglect a church service, it'll just add to the white noise and uh, it'll disquiet your spirit. Okay, so attend every service. Number two, schedule personal time with God. Don't wait until December 24th or December 25th to read Luke chapter 2. I crack up every time I listen to the song, and I listen to it a lot, but Christmas in the Country by the Gaither Vocal Band. Oh, there's nothing quite like Christmas in the country. Beautiful song, but one of the verses goes, uh, the laughter stops as dad picks up the Bible. It falls from habit and opens to Luke chapter 2. And I'm like, this is the only time he reads his Bible every Christmas, Luke chapter 2. He's had the same Bible since he was born. I'm like, you know, you should read your Bible more often than that. And you should read your Bible throughout December. I put some references in there just to get you started about the birth of our Lord. So schedule personal time with God every day. Number three, teach your kids the meaning of Christmas. Teach your kids the meaning of Christmas. And again, it's okay to have the other fun things and traditions we've, we've talked about already, but teach them why we do what we do and what we're celebrating. Number four, think about the carols as you sing them. There's a lot of really rich Christmas carols that talk, even you just hear on the radio or walking through the store that talk about the Lord, think about them. Next, invite someone to church. You're more interested when you're invested. If you are looking for somebody to come that you've invited, you'll be more uh, uh, invested in prayer, in time. Uh, uh, it'll just be better. Next, finally, give the gospel to someone. We looked this morning in Matthew one twenty one that the reason Jesus came was to save his people from their sins. So I hope that'll uh, help you put that in your Bible, look at that. But let's continue on. So John chapter 6, John 6, we're going to look at verse 37 through 40. 
and I'm, I'm glad we're looking at these verses because it addresses uh, a, a persistent question I think that we'll always have to answer. But John 6, verse 37 through 40, All that the Father giveth me, Jesus says, shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Lord, I pray that you'd help this message. Help me as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, two points tonight. Number one, anybody can be saved. Anybody can be saved. Now, I want to focus in just on the first little phrase of verse 37, and then I want to explain. So you're going to get spiritually fed from the word tonight if you strap in and listen, okay? So verse 37, it says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, if you are just a casual reader and you read that, it seems a little bit like there are people that are already set aside to be saved. Now, that is the doctrine of uh, Calvinism. Uh, and that means that people uh, believe a lot of um, Reformed theology. If somebody says they, they teach that, a lot of new evangelical churches, big churches, uh, they'll teach this right here. Um, it's coming back into style, Reformed theology. But it teaches a doctrine called irresistible grace, meaning that if you have been predetermined by God to be saved, then there's nothing you can do about it. You are going to get saved. Irresistible grace. Look at it again. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, I put several verses in here. So the Bible never contradicts itself. I'll give you some, some principles to just think about. The Bible never contradicts itself. And a lot of times, if you read a verse and you don't understand it, it's explained right there in the chapter. If you ever read a verse, by the way, that you just don't get or it confuses you, start at the beginning of the chapter and read the whole chapter. If you're still a bit confused, start at the beginning of the book and read the whole book. It really works if you're in like an epistle, one of the shorter books in the New Testament with like two, three, four, five chapters, and you can do that in one sitting uh, and just read it all the way through. And then when you hit that verse, a lot of times you're like, oh, okay, because the Bible does explain itself. Okay, but also if it doesn't make sense right there, the Bible fits together like a puzzle sometimes. Maybe that one puzzle piece doesn't quite make sense to you, uh, but that's okay because we're supposed to study and put it all together. And then it makes a beautiful picture. So let me give you a few verses. 2 Peter 3, 9, to just build on this. God does not choose some people to be saved and others to not be saved. Okay, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God doesn't want anybody to perish. Flip back a few pages to John chapter 3. We've already preached through all these verses, but John chapter 3, verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you're very familiar with that. So God sent Jesus to die for the world. For God sent not a son of the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When we say that somebody believed, what are we describing? That one word we've really looked at. 
faith, right? You believe, you get saved by faith, faith, believe, faith, okay? So people who say that this belief that anybody can get saved and who kind of rejects what, what we say, we reject that irresistible grace that it doesn't matter. Uh, some people are reserved for judgment. Some people are reserved to get saved. They say that that's not good because it elevates man's will to an, an inappropriate level, meaning that people can just decide if they're going to heaven or not. And, and that's, that's not what we believe. You see, faith is something that you and I can choose to, to have. I can put my faith in something or I can reject something. Uh, let's see, I put a verse in here um, in, let's see, Romans 7, 18. Uh, um, it is not man's will that accesses salvation, it's faith. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And uh, in context, we won't get into that for sake of time. But basically, just because somebody wills something or desires something, wants something to happen, doesn't mean that it's, it's necessarily going to happen. You see, I don't know anybody that if you really got them alone and started talking to them about eternity, would say that they actually really wanted to burn forever in a lake of fire. You know, somebody might say that and say, well, there's a big party. And, but if they understood, if somebody understood willingly saying, yes, I want to do that. I don't want to be happy. I want to be in pain and be in darkness separated from God. I don't think anybody really. So what's the difference? Faith. Faith is what makes up the difference between what your will can understand and what you cannot understand. A faith is you surrendering your will to God. So everybody that has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. God wants to save everybody. He wills, elects to save everybody that puts their faith in him. I'll just read a few more of these. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What does that say to me? That God has tried to give everybody the opportunity to be saved. You look at uh, Romans 1, how, uh, Romans 1 and 2, how even creation is crying out, pointing people to the fact of a creator, pointing people to a savior. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. If somebody is not going to be saved, they reject Christ, they are rejecting God's will for them. God's will, according to 1 Timothy 2, 4, God's will is for everybody. All men just means all people here. For everybody to be saved. So first of all, real quick, that's a blessing, isn't it? But I want you to really, really see that because uh, there are, I would say, good people that, that help me as I uh, study commentaries and stuff that go off the rails, in my view, when you get to this subject. And if you look at the autopsy of a dead church, you are going to find the doctrine of Calvinism. Because if you believe Calvinism, meaning that some people are just going to get saved, some people are just impossible to get saved, then really, if you just think about that for a while, then what are we doing? Why would I tell anybody about Jesus? Why would I ever, ever? Because if they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved. If they're, if they're not one of those that have been elected, predestined to get saved, then, I mean, what's, what good is it to even talk to them? You see? And so it, it, is a, it is a false doctrine. The only way to get saved is by faith. Romans 3.25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation or substitution through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. 1 Timothy 4.10, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, specially of those that believe. And that word specially can mean specifically 
or particularly. So God sent Jesus Christ to die for who? The world. Everybody. God wants everybody to be saved, especially those that believe. He died for everyone, and only those who believe will receive that free gift. And we've given the illustration. I won't give it too long, but if I had a really nice Christmas present, and Miss Judy did a good job putting these points heads, it looks really nice here, and if I had a Christmas present right here to you, and I had one to you, to you, and I had one with your, everybody's name in here on it, and some of you chose to take the gift and some of you didn't, well, I wanted everybody to have this gift. I had the same thing in each one, but some people took it, some people didn't take it. Now, that was your decision. And it wasn't that you made a way for this gift. You didn't make this gift or you didn't deserve this gift necessarily or earn it. You just accepted it. Well, that's what heaven is. God sent his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world. Some people will, by faith, accept that gift. Some people will reject that gift. All right, so look in verse, uh, back in, excuse me, uh, John 6. Look at that phrase again. Now, with that in your mind, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, you read that and you say, okay, but what does that mean? Now, think about God for just a second. God, who is pre-existent, which meaning he exi- means he existed before anything did. He existed before time existed. He created time. He is eternal. He is infinite, meaning no beginning or ending. Do you remember what name he gave in Genesis and what name Jesus gave in John 8? He said, I am. I am. Uh, He was. He is. He is to come in Revelation. He is not bound by time, okay? So if you can picture uh, God, I know it's it's so hard, but if you think about this, uh, because, you know, we're just, we're finite minds, but God is God, and if you look at a, maybe a timeline in a history book, you see a point where what you're studying started and then maybe a point uh, where you are today or where whatever subject you're studying ended, you are looking at this whole timeline. Well, God is looking at all of time. And God is in Moses' day. God is in Mary and Joseph's day. God is today for us right now. God is over here during the rapture and the tribulation. God is not bound by time. And so it's not inconsistent to me for Jesus Christ, who is one with the Father, God's Son, in verse 37 again, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. You know, God knows who is going to get saved. I think there's a a little difference there that I think just helps us understand. God knows who's going to get saved. But it doesn't mean that he has decided that these people are going to get saved and these people will remain lost. You see? And so God already knows what you're going to do. He wants everybody to get saved, but he knows who is going to get saved. That little bit of knowledge, that little bit of information, I think really helps us as we approach the word elect and predestination. Because those words are in the Bible. I mean, if you look at, at Romans 8, where the, the last bit of that, it says, the, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, height, depth, principality, uh, death, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If you look before that, Romans eight twenty eight, where it says, all things work together for good. The very next verse, verse 29, it says, for whom he did know, he did predestinate that we be conformed to the image of his son. You know, God elects to save everybody who puts their faith in him. God predestinates everybody who puts their faith in him to be conformed to the image of his son. So those words shouldn't be scary words to us, elect and predestinate, but we should definitely understand what that means. Okay, so let me refresh. Anybody can be saved. It's not you and me that makes us saved. It is simply us surrendering by faith in order to accept the gift of salvation. D.L. Moody said, 
the whosoever wills are the elect, and the whosoever won'ts are the non-elect. I like that. And then if you just think about the Great Commission and... Uh, Oh man, run out of time. That's okay. In Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So if you believe, you'll be saved. If you don't believe, the wrath of God abideth on you already. We just looked in John 3 because you don't believe. It's all about belief and faith. Uh, go to Acts 16 really, really quick. Acts 16. Verse number 25, and we're in Philippi here, Paul and Silas. We're going to read several verses, so I'll get going. Acts 16, 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. So he thought his life was over. He had failed as a soldier. He was going to kill himself. But Paul, verse 28, cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we're all here. Then he called for a light that wasn't smoking, but he called for something to see and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So here it probably God was already probably working on his heart. He was already thinking about the message Paul and Silas were in jail for, talking about Jesus. And now he believes it. These people saved his life by saying that these are virtuous people. He said, sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? Now, here's what they didn't say. Paul and Silas didn't say, well, to be honest with you, if you're one of the elect, you're going to get saved anyways. If you're not, then there's really no reason to talk to you. No, he didn't say that. Here's what he said. They said, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house said, here's all you need to do. Believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. And not just you, everybody that lives with you, everybody that you know, everybody in your household, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I don't need to meet the people that you're with. I don't need to examine them to see if they're one of the elect. Everybody, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Verse 32, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them in his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. How does somebody get saved? They put their faith, their belief, their trust in Jesus Christ. That's very, very important uh, to remember. Okay, so then number two, the other one that's important. So number one, anybody can be saved. Number one, once saved, never cast out. Or once saved, always saved. And you say, this is so basic, but it is so easy to become confused and discouraged in the world. And if somebody asks you a question that you know the answer to, but you don't know why, then you can get really discouraged and, uh, and Satan get a foothold there. And so this is to help. So once saved, never cast out. So go back to John 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So when it says I will in no wise cast out that double negative, it's very emphatic. It means never, no, never. Never, no, never. If you come to Jesus, if somebody comes to Jesus, they will not be rejected and they will never be cast out. There are people all over Christianity today in churches that go to sleep scared to death 
that they're not saved like they were yesterday. And that is such a lie of the devil. I'm telling you that is such a lie that steals your joy. It robs you of your effectiveness in the Christian life. The Christian person, I love the curriculum we're going through in uh, my Sunday school class. The Christian life is not how religious you are or how good you are or how much you measure up today or if you've proved yourself today. The Christian life, the Christian is just a sinner who has believed and received and is just trying to follow Christ. Okay? And Anybody who comes to Jesus will not ever, never, ever be cast out. Look at the next verse. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What does that mean? That, that there is nothing between when you get born again, when you get saved, and when you are resurrected. I put a couple verses in there you can look later. When you are resurrected, nothing that can get you away from God, that can pluck you out of the Father's hand, that can remove the Holy Spirit from you, that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Because when you're born again, you're a new creature. You know, I love every single one of my kids, but I can't return them right? It's impossible, nor would I want to, right? They're a born new person, a, a creature. They've got their own DNA. They've got their own fingerprints, their social security numbers, identities. They are a new person. They're not, oh, where'd Joy go? She doesn't exist today. Well, maybe tomorrow. Maybe she'll be good enough to be a daughter again tomorrow. No, okay? And when you're born again, there is nothing, nothing that you can do. I mean, nothing. The Bible even says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself, Meaning that that Holy Spirit that he permanently puts inside of you for your life, that, that's not, it's not going to leave. You can't, in your feebleness, make the Holy Spirit exit because you had a bad day. Because you had a bad day and, and you say, well, you know what? I reject God. And then you repent in bitterness and tears like, man, I hope, I hope I, I'm glad I didn't die for that one day when I had a real bad day. because I No, you are a new creature. You are saved. And you will not be cast out. And I put lots of verses in there for you to look at later. It is impossible for what you did not do as in creating yourself a new person for you to undo. You access it by faith, but it is not to be undone. It cannot be undone. Now that is an encouraging thought, isn't it? Kind of helps us relax a little bit as we approach the Lord. Kind of lets us enjoy the Lord a little bit. Not freedom to sin or anything like that, but when you realize the grace of God, and when you realize that, man, I did nothing. I did nothing to get it. I do nothing to keep it. Nothing and yet he loves me regardless of me, I, I want to do all I can for him. You know, we're motivated by grace. So I hope that helps you. Keep that in your Bible. Look at those verses. If you have any questions, let me know. And we'll pray and uh, make a pretty good time. And we'll get right into the practice just a couple minutes after we're done.